Thank you, Adrian, for our prayer this morning, just before I preach. Uh, I'm going to read the first verse of the hymn we sometimes sing. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you, to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith, Speak, O Lord, and fulfil in us all your purposes for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Under the uh, second half of that chapter 2 of James that uh, Aidan read for us uh, is firmly printed on my brain. I'll tell you why. 26 years ago, uh, I had an experience, a bit like the one Dan had uh, recently. Uh, in those days, it was called selection conferences. It's a bit more humane nowadays, but only a bit. Some of the same thing goes on. People get put under the microscope, uh, thinking about whether they'd be prospective vicars and, and so on. Anyway, one of the things that happens in, in a selection conference is that um, an education selector, who's usually an academic theologian, from a university, um, she asked me uh, a question to which I had no answer. She said, what did I think of Luther's critique of the book of James? And so I, being a, a, hopefully a fairly honest soul, I said, um, I don't know what Luther said about the book of James. Maybe some of you do, but I didn't. And <clears throat> uh, she, being quite a wise person, was much more interested in my powers of reasoning than in uh, what I knew or didn't know. And so she said, well, what do you think he might have said? Well, and I said, well, Luther spoke a, a lot about justification through faith, and, uh, and James is a lot about work, so Luther probably didn't like that all that much, did he? And she said, absolutely right, uh, let's not discuss the details, let's discuss something else. And so we did, in due course. Anyway, ever since then, I've had in my mind that apparent tension between faith and action, but often it's not a very real tension between faith and action, because one, if it, one faith, tends to bear fruit in action, and we see that in lots of different ways in this community. Now we saw uh, last Sunday that uh, James contains in chapters 2 to 5 uh, 12 different bits of teaching, and the first two of these make up our passage this morning. The first half of the chapter about favoritism and selectiveness, and the second half about faith and action. A Christian's approach to both of these issues has a common root, and it's that root you might recall that we looked at last week. Hopefully, yep, the implanted word. Look, think back to verse 21 of, uh, of James chapter 1. I'll just read it again. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We need to remind ourselves of this often. 
as we get stuck into James's teaching and in all that follows. Uh, the key to understanding the whole of the book, indeed the, in, in many ways, one of the important aspects of the Christian life is, um, is about understanding that word planted in us. I had a conversation uh, with somebody in the congregation this morning and we were talking about all the different things that can be implanted. I mentioned just a couple last week, but there are a whole load that, uh, that different things that can be implanted. The word is like one of those. You might remember this message, this image from last week. And I said the rest of James's book is basically an outworking of the whole business of having God's word planted in us and uh, then seeing what follows. Let's talk a bit about favoritism. Uh, there's a picture about to appear on the screen. Yep. <coughs> Um, I'll explain the picture. A bird, I guess, is exercising a bit of favoritism. Hopefully, it's going to be the other birds' turn in due course, but there are three birds. You see, the one on the right is obviously the parent. The one on the left is the bird that uh, she's feeding. But look at the poor bird at the bottom. The bird, the parent is standing on the head of that bird to feed the other bird. It's all sorts of favoritism, and hopefully, that's why I said, hopefully the other bird's turn might come in due course. It's bad parenting uh, to have favorites, obviously. Um, but Paul, no, it's not Paul, James even. Between James James talks about uh, favoritism in uh, different ways, and he talks for his main example about something which uh, some of you may have experienced something like this James, James refers to how Christians treat rich and poor and sometimes do that in different ways and sometimes you might you're comfortably often the well dressed different from those struggling and not so well dressed now this particular issue might not be a big one for St. John's actually because of the rather gritty neighbourhood that we're in and the obvious needs of many in this community and I'm delighted that uh, our church is involved in things like the soul food drop-ins and, and helping with the food bank and various other things and in our services we welcome anybody from any background. Uh, this, that doesn't mean that favoritism and selectiveness aren't an issue for us here. Our attitudes are things which are unseen. Sometimes we can see activity, but attitudes are unseen. That's why we, we pray when we start the communion service about God who sees the unseen things get to work in us and make them his. Speaking for myself, um, I was, as a teenager, I was well on the road, I think, to been becoming quite a prejudiced individual uh, about various things in life uh, until God got hold of me. And over the years, he's changed me into something hopefully rather different. But I'm aware that favoritism, favoritism and selectiveness are things 
that take many forms. They're unseen, and sometimes they're unconscious biases. Uh, yes, I said I said we were talking about the Bible, not football. But I saw one yesterday at this football match. The um, the uh, I won't call her the assistant referee on the the side where the main stand is at Dicot uh, <coughs> was a woman, and of course that's still relatively rare in football. Not it's not massively as rare as it used to be, but it, it's still quite rare. And some of the comments that were made clearly showed. Uh, unconscious or even conscious bias uh, about people of another gender uh, doing doing that job and waving the flag and so on in front of them. It was uh, a good illustration of the fact that sometimes we have unconscious biases in life. Now there's another picture uh, coming up and you can see where this comes from. It's, uh, you can see by the spelling of the word favoritism that's in the middle. This comes from the land of the free, uh, uh, where supposedly uh, all people are created equal. Well, there's still favoritism there, and it takes lots of different forms, including various of those words that are there. There's something about job opportunities, things about unfairness, uh, things about discrimination, uh, things about cronyism, Equality, inequality, and so on. I've seen a lot of uh, major inequality in my life. Most of you know I've spent a lot of time in uh, various developing countries, and uh, inequality is a feature of those. I, as a teenager in South America, um, one of the things I think that God was tapping me on the shoulder and, uh, uh, and making me a little less prejudiced about was um, just understanding that different people uh, come from very different backgrounds, seeing some of those. And then in my 20s, then uh, when I was working in the overseas aid business, then I saw some more of that. And God was, I think, teaching me something about inequality. It's humbling sometimes to reflect on different things that uh, I've seen. And um, I guess all of us can relate to think lessons that we've learned and sometimes the lessons that we learn best are the ones that are quite painful at the time. It's interesting. There are lots, lots of as different aspects of favoritism uh, shown here. But I think if I think of the ones, some of the ones that I've been guilty of, then it's about swallowing some of those whole without even realizing it at the time. I think all of us do that to uh, a certain extent. Now there's one word on the bottom of that that you might not be able to see because it's quite small. And the word is religion. Let's look at our next picture. There's a man carrying a pane of glass appearing somewhere. Hopefully, well, there we go. Um, if you've got good eyes, you'll have seen that word, religion. And religion can sometimes be used as an excuse for favoritism. We Christians are in no way exempt uh, from favoritism. And uh, I expect you can all think of examples, some of which might have been on that previous slide and some not. 
But there are ten commandments at the front of the church. They're uh, inscribed on the wall, on the stone up there. But sometimes we behave as if we could just select five of those, maybe have a go at five and ignore the other five. Might treat them like an exam paper, you know, where it says attempt any of the three out of six questions or, or whatever, whatever it might be. Sometimes we treat the commandments like that. Um, and, but if you look at uh, verse ch 10 of chapter 2 of James, what he says is this. He says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now I'll explain the pain of glass. Some of you have probably heard this before. I think the God's word, God's law, is a bit like a pane of glass. If it's broken, it's broken. Doesn't matter actually whether you chip there's a little chip in the corner or a great brick through the middle. It's still broken. And a, a work person would, would throw it away because it's, no, it's no good anymore. And when they're about to fit a pane of glass, they need that pane of glass to be unbroken. Any glazier will tell you that if a piece of glass is broken, it's broken. God's law is like that. If we infringe just a bit of it, we infringe all of it. I might not have killed somebody, literally speaking, but I have killed somebody in my head, uh, and all of us have. Actually, when we get angry with them and the way we treat them, Jesus said it. And we need to just bear things like that in mind. James says exactly that. Speak and act as if you're going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. But then he goes on to say something wonderful about the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus at the end of verse 13 James sums it up in four words. He says mercy triumphs over judgment. Triumphs over judgment because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's wonderful good news recently read a book about the uh, thief on the cross turning to Jesus, even at that time, knowing that he was guilty but finding the truth of this, that mercy triumphed over judgment. But we do need to watch ourselves. Look at that pane of glass. Actually, I'm thinking of a religion that was uh, on the bottom of the previous slide. Um, even with our Bible reading, we sometimes think of that. We sometimes uh, apply favoritism or selectiveness to that. There are some bits of the Bible that we read more, and there are some that we read less. That's why when we plan our, our series for the year, we make sure we include things like, um, last year we included a series on Ecclesi Ecclesiastes. Uh, most of us don't spend loads of time in devotions, in that, but we did unpack that over several weeks here and in house groups too. And uh, this autumn, after the series on James, we're going to have a series on Ezra and Nehemiah. Again, maybe not some of the most visited bits of, of the Bible, but something that God can teach us through those. Watch out for favoritism, watch out for selectiveness.
saying that we all struggle with favoritism or selectiveness uh, is not suggesting that we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, we all struggle with it, so anything goes, that's okay. James is quite clear that this is not the case. Look at the second half of uh, chapter 2. He addresses this head on. We're coming back to this issue of faith and actions that uh, we started with. There can be a tension between faith and actions. At least an apparent one. You might recall a couple of years ago we had a series on the Reformation uh, covering the uh, the 500th anniversary of uh, Luther nailing his uh, theses on the door of uh, Wittenberg Castle. And uh, after that, we looked at the five solar statements of the Reformers. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and so on. But there's nothing in any of that that says deeds are not important. Faith internal is outworked in action belief is reflected in deeds that's why I read that verse because it's uh, uh, for our prayer right at the beginning because it talks specifically about our, how our deeds are related to our faith remember that last Sunday we looked particularly at uh, verse 22 I can remember Mary reading it and uh, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. James is not afraid to use very strong words to make his point. Verse 17, he says this, in chapter 2 this is there. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead word dead not many nuances to that he goes on verse 26 as a body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead strong words but he also says in verse 22 he says faith and actions were working together and he takes takes a particular example of Abraham there are lots of others of course faith and actions were working together it's a bit like the wings of a plane that I started with uh, with the children Uh, faith and action have to go together those wings are not going to work if it's one or the other neither works on its own Faith and action should go together. People try and separate them sometimes. Evangelicals, that many of us are, including myself, uh, we need to remember that uh, sometimes people aren't worried about what, they don't care about what we know until they know how much we care. And sometimes that requires action, not just words about faith. Those of a more liberal theological disposition sometimes make the opposite mistake. Lots of good works, but losing sight of Jesus. What's unique about him and what's distinctive about Christians? Either of these 
extremes is a mistake. And so I want to finish with this. On the left-hand side is that image that uh, I hope you're becoming familiar uh, with by now about the implanted words. It's one I used last week. Uh, it's one I used at the start of our sermon today. The implanted word needs to bear fruit. Look at where those arrows are pointing. The arrows come from exactly the same place. They come from the words that they lead to faith and action. Most of us are more one than the other. That's okay. We're all individuals. We all express our faith in different ways. But as I wrap up, I want to give you a bit of homework. Uh, you might want to, next week we're going to be uh, moving on to chapter 3 of James, which is, for me at least, even more uh, challenging because it's about a tongue now. And I know that's a real area of weakness for me. But before we get to chapter 3, I want you to do this bit of homework. I'm not going to take it in, don't worry. Uh, but I do want you to do it. I want you to reflect on your own life. What is it that's lacking? What's God challenging you about? What is it that he's wanting to get hold of you and challenge you about right now? If you're more a person of faith, what are the actions that could express that? If you're a person of action, then what are the foundations that need shoring up in your life? Remember last Sunday's quote from Tim Mackey, summing up what the, uh, the book of James is about, a perfectly crafted punch to the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. James doesn't want us to be comfortable. James wants us, and God wants us to grow in the things that we like. Let's take time to reflect on those, and let's pray. We thank you for the wonderful truth uh, expressed in this chapter that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. We thank you for that. We thank you for the way uh, down the ages you've uh, shown how, how the word can be expressed in different ways. Faith and deeds need to go together. Lord, we're sorry the times when we've got things out of kilter as we reflect on the things that are most lacking in our own lives we pray please that you will, you will get to work in those areas that are gaps and that word that uh, James keeps uh, coming back to for perfection and maturity and all the rest uh, Lord we pray that that will become a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name.